Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm pastor here at LifePoint, located in Plano, Texas, and we meet here every Sunday at 1030, and we are here for your family. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, good morning, everybody. It's so good to see you. You did sound great worshiping this morning and singing out. I love that. If you're new, as Isaac said, we're in this series called Activate. How do we begin this new summer? By activating a better you. So I'm excited that you're here. We're going to talk about that in just a second. For those of you who regularly attend LifePoint, I just want to give you a heads up. I shared this last week. I want to just share it again today. As you know, one of the big values that we have here is we want to give your guests a great experience when they come. And we recognize that part of that is critical mass. And due to COVID and the, and, and the summer and things like that and being blessed with a large auditorium, we want to make sure that we're doing everything we can to help with that. So we've been planning for a while as the summer gets here to sort of experience with a reshaped room. So next Sunday when you come in, you'll see that. And all that means is for those of you who are on the very back, we'll just invite you to come forward a little bit more. And we're going to do that throughout the summer with some pipe and drape. And here's why. When you bring your neighbor, when you bring your friend, when you bring your coworker, we want them to have the best experience possible. So I want to give you a heads up on that. Now, today I want us to kick off with a question that I've actually posted on my Facebook this week. And here's the question. What do you do when there's, what is an example of something you feel like you're supposed to do, but don't want to do? And you can't say pipe and drape. That's not the right answer, Okay. I actually asked this question on my Facebook, and one of the first responses is, answer this question, right? I feel like I'm supposed to do, but I don't really want to do. Here's some more answers that came in this week. Somebody said, to drink more water. I'm supposed to do it, don't want to do it. To pay taxes. Come on. Cameron, he said, to take the squeegee after I shower and to squeegee the glass. Yeah? How many of you just totally ignore that? I don't care if I'm supposed to do it. Okay, we know what your shower looks like. That's awesome. How many, somebody else said to write thank you notes. Somebody else said to floss my teeth. And then one of my favorites is a friend who said, I struggle because I know I'm supposed to be a good example, but I don't want to be. What I want to be is lazy, rude, and petty. <laughs> I love that. Hey, listen, if you're new to church and you're not even sure you want to follow Jesus, but you're here because somebody invited you. I'm so grateful that you had the courage to be here today. You should just know this. Those of us who do follow Jesus, we have a struggle with one famous command that Jesus gave. And I'll be honest with you, it's a command that we feel like we're supposed to do, but we don't want to do it. Here's that command. When Jesus said at the very end of his life in Matthew chapter 28, he said, therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations. And he says, here's the two ways you do it. You will baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And here's the second thing. You will teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then here's the promise. If you do that, if you baptize and teach, if you share Jesus and build believers, then he said, here's the promise. I will be with you always to the very end. It's a pretty good promise, isn't it? Now, here's the deal. In this command, which we know we're supposed to do but don't want to do, in this command, I counted this week, in this translation, there are 49 words. And here's the word we have the most trouble with. It's the word go. 
It's the second word. It's, it's not that we generally have trouble with the word go because like you left your house today and you decided to go to church. Later, you'll decide to go to the store, go to a restaurant. Tomorrow, you'll go to work. This summer, you'll go on vacation. You'd love to go at times. But we know with this word go, there's an extra connotation. I feel like I'm going on behalf of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but this is something that I feel like I'm supposed to do. But I don't always want to do it. In fact, I usually don't want to do it because it feels like there's an inherent risk associated with interacting with another human being having no idea where this is going to lead, right? I want to do it. I feel like I'm supposed to do it. I don't necessarily want to do it. You see, it turns out when it comes to Jesus, this is unique, we like the knowing, but we don't like the going. I like knowing Jesus. He's wonderful. He's my Savior. He's given me hope in my life. It's the going where it gets a little harder. And I know I'm not alone because I just read this week, 90% of all Jesus followers have not shared Jesus with anyone this year or invited anyone to church this year. You know why? We have trouble with that one word, go. We like the knowing, but we're struggling with the going. So if you don't follow Jesus and you're here today and you want to mess with us who do, you want to make us feel all kinds of guilty? The next time we talk to you, just ask us this. When was the last time you shared Jesus with someone? And watch us get all kinds of awkward. Because we like the knowing, it's the going that's a little bit harder for us. But here's the good news. Jesus didn't just say go. He gave a promise that we don't go alone. This is the promise that we talked about last week. That's why we really wanted to focus on the power. When we're going to activate a better you, it begins with this idea of stopping and praying. Getting alone with God to be empowered by the Holy Spirit like those original Jesus followers were. And so here's what we saw last week, that prayer actually enables ordinary people to make an extraordinary difference in this world. This is a desire all of us have. Whether you follow Jesus or not, we all want to make an extraordinary difference. But we all feel ordinary. And it's prayer, as we saw with the original Jesus followers, that empowers us through the Holy Spirit to do extraordinary things. What I love about last week is we talked about prayer, is we invited you to text in your uh, number and we would text you reminders throughout the week and sort of remind you to pray. And did you know last week there were more than 200 of you who signed up to receive the prayer text and we've been praying as a church family all week. I think we ought to just stop and celebrate that because that's a significant step. Amen. Here's why, because we believe prayer is essential. It is essential. You don't go alone. Prayer is essential. But here's what we're going to learn today. It is not the destination. Prayer is essential, but it's not sufficient. Because if you just stop and pray, you aren't obedient until you, it's a two-letter word, say it with me, until you, oh, you guys are sharp. I knew you were. Until you go, then you're being obedient. So here's what we're going to do today. I think this will be fun. I hope it's helpful. Today what we're going to do is we're going to revisit those original Jesus followers just like we did last week, but we're going to look at the next part of their journey, the next part of their story, and here's why. 
This is when Christianity began. This is when our story as Jesus followers, it began. And these are the people who stopped early on and Jesus said, no, 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 wait, before you go, pray. They did. And now we get to see them for the first time in history, we see Jesus followers go. And I want you to watch what happens when Jesus followers decide to finally obey the part that we struggle with and we go. The thing that we've been commanded to do, and it's all recorded in Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can pull that out. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. If you don't, there in the Pew Bible, we're going to look at page 883 here in just a minute. Just grab that, open that up, so we can look at it together. Here's the, here's the backstory as you're getting your place. The original Jesus followers are huddled up in a room praying. That's where we left off last week. And they've been told they're going to eventually go when the Holy Spirit empowers them. And the Holy Spirit suddenly shows up in such a loud way, kind of like a loud family member. You ever have one of those? They can never seem to enter any room quietly. They're just sort of obnoxious, right? The Holy Spirit shows up in a loud, wild, and chaotic way. And it is obvious, something is different, that the promise has been fulfilled. Meanwhile, there's a large group of people who are nearby who hear the chaos, and when I say a large group of people, I'm not talking like a few dozen or even a few hundred, but eventually there will be thousands of people who are drawn to the chaos. That's the level of chaos we're talking about. And they come to this very room where these original Jesus followers, these disciples, are praying. And it's in this moment where they have a decision to make. Think about it. They were told by Jesus to leave the crowd behind. Remember that? And go into this room and pray. And now the crowd has come to them. And they have to be tempted in this moment to continue to pray privately instead of share Jesus publicly. Because you've got to admit, if you're praying and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit shows up in such a dramatic way, how are you not enjoying that? And they're in that moment thinking, this is what Jesus promised, the Holy Spirit. We're enjoying the Holy Spirit. We're in this room, and all of those people are out there, and they show up. And I think the disciples are wrestling with, do I continue to pray privately and lock the door and keep them out there while I enjoy this? <sighs> or do I go and share Jesus publicly? And now they wrestle with that one word that Jesus said, go. Just like you and I do, the disciples wrestled. And here's why I believe they wrestled, because watch what happens next. Notice in your Bibles in Acts chapter 2, look with me at verse 14. And I want us to see what happens next. I, in fact, I think this is where the song comes from. The disciples were sitting there and they were thinking, okay, do I, do I just stay here and pray or, or, or do, I, do I obey Jesus and go? And, and I think maybe just kind of intuitively, instinctively, they, they just sort of begin to sing, do I pray or do I go? Like they just started over, <laughs> over and over, right? Like you can just kind of, maybe not. All right, Acts chapter 2, verse 14. I want you to watch what happens. Peter says, then Peter stood up with the 11 and he raised his voice and he begins to address the crowd. Now listen. The way that structure of that grammar takes place in the original language that Peter stood up with the 11 or with the rest of those Jesus followers, those closest disciples, it reminds us that he was actually sort of pushed 
forward. In other words, they all stood up because they're like, what do we pray? Do we go? Like, what do we do here? You know, like I know I'm supposed to. I don't necessarily want to do it, but what do we do here? And the pushed forwardness of Peter was the other 11 sort of are all side-eyed, kind of looking around. And he's sort of like the man for the occasion. And he's pushed forward, not necessarily willingly, not necessarily excited. He knows he's supposed to. And now's the moment of truth. And for the first time in human history, someone's about to share Jesus. I love this moment. I love this moment. I want you to see it. Look down at verse 22 as he begins to share Jesus. And I just want to, if you're, if you're new to this, if you're new to the Jesus story and maybe you're not sure how you feel, I can just be a confession. Sometimes we don't represent Jesus really well. Sometimes when we try to represent Jesus, we, we, we wrap other things around him. Uh, that, that, that aren't Jesus, right, that, that aren't necessarily him, whether it's our agenda, whether it's our, our politics, whether it's some kind of uh, issue, you know, we kind of wrap on to you know, all these things that, that we mean well, but, but we just don't do it as well. I want you to see today, through fresh ears, how the original followers of Jesus share Jesus. These are the people who knew and walked with Jesus for three years, and watch how he shares Jesus for the first time. He says, verse 22, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you. Now that's an important line right out of the gate. He's saying, this isn't just some guy who did good things. He was accredited by God. He was a he stamp of approval. God himself sent this Jesus here to earth, and everything about Jesus was God's idea. Well, that's a big statement right out of the gate that Peter makes when he is sharing Jesus. And Peter says, it's not my idea. This is God's. And then he goes on to say, remember what he did. He said, by miracles, when Jesus was here on earth, by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you, through him, as you yourselves know. You've seen it, guys. Remember whenever he was, uh, when he walked on the water? Remember whenever he fed the 5,000? Remember when he healed the, the crippled man? Remember when he healed the blind person and got the mud? Remember when he went down to the pool of Siloam? Remember when, and everyone's like, yeah, I, maybe I was there or maybe I wasn't there, but I know somebody who was. I've heard these stories. I know this is a story that's regularly being told. They knew of the miracles and the signs and the wonders that Jesus had been doing. They had actually seen it or heard of this. And then, Paul immediately brings up a painful memory for the audience. And I want you to see what he says in verse 23. This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and we'll look at that word in a second, and you, it's as if Peter suddenly points a finger, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Do you remember when he was crucified? They would say, yes, it was only 50 days ago at this point. It was gruesome, those who had witnessed it. We saw it. But Peter's saying something here, and he's saying, you remember the cross, and now he connects the dot, but do you remember that you were the one who put him there? Man, 
He's saying you participated in the crucifixion by your silence at the trial. Maybe some of the people in the crowd were some of the people who at the famous trial of Pontius Pilate were saying crucify him, away with him. You, you participated with wicked men to put him to the cross. And then to give that whole perspective, Peter also talked about the foreknowledge of God. And he says, look, Turns out you were just pawns. Here their hearts are beating fast with guilt. He goes, look, feel guilty, but just know this. It was the foreknowledge of God. It was a deliberate plan that God had. He wasn't just like fate to go to the cross like a moth would go to a bright light. It wasn't just because you guys were powerful and you tricked and, you know, like tricked the system in some way. No, God assigned him to the cross. His mission was to go to the cross. God turns out just used your ignorance to accomplish his plan. Remember, Jesus is accredited by God. He was assigned to the cross. And then, without skipping a beat, Peter changes the subject or he changes the focus completely. Look down at verse 24. But, he says, God raised him from the dead. You didn't have anything to do with that. God did that. God raised him from the dead. And when he raised him from the dead, he once and and for all declared that he freed him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And in God assigning Jesus to the cross and in God raising him from the dead, what God did was he defeated death and he defeated sin. And this is really good news because what that means is God not only is willing to rescue and wants to rescue you, But he wants a relationship with you right now. This is how much you are loved, even if you participated in the crucifixion. Wow. Why in the world? Here's the question. Why in the world would Peter get up from that prayer room and start to share Jesus publicly? Because it would have been a lot more fun to stay on his knees and to leave the crowd and to enjoy the relationship with God that he was experiencing. And this is where he reveals why he did that, and why he decided to obey the word go. Look down at verse 32. Peter said, God has raised this Jesus, who I know and walked with for three years, to life. And Peter's able to say, I saw him with my own eyes for 40 days, as did more than 500 people. I know this for a fact. Many in the crowd would have known that. And then look what he says. We are all, say this word with me, witnesses. We are all witnesses of it. I saw him. I know him. I heard him. I touched him. I have seen the impact of his life. I know that he was authenticated by God. I know that he was crucified, and I know he rose from the dead, and I am a witness of it. That word should cue you from something we talked about if you were here last week when Jesus used the same word to refer to what would happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. You may remember this in Acts 1.8, the previous chapter when we see that. says that, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit. You don't gain power. You don't achieve power. You will receive power. Why? When the Holy Spirit. This is when, when ordinary people can do extraordinary things. And then watch the result. You will be my, say it with me, witnesses. It's the same thing Peter is saying. It's happened. And now I am a witness. I can't just stop. I can't just 
be silent. I must speak up. And I think one of the challenges that we have who follow Jesus is we don't understand our role in the courtroom. We're witnesses. We're simply to, in fact, we have to take the stand. But we aren't attorneys who have an airtight case and point fingers. We aren't the judge who criticizes and condemns. We're simply witnesses who step up and share our side of the story. Here's what God has done, and here's what he's doing through me. That's our role. That's how we go as we are witnesses. Well, Peter realizes that, so he just steps up and says, here's what I know of Jesus, and here's what he's done for me. And watch the crowd's response. In verse 37, when the people, the crowd, heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what, what should we do? I hear what you're saying about Jesus. What do we do? And they, they use that unique phrase, cut to the heart. And said, like, was that like first century cannibalism? Like, what in the world does that even mean? And I think I experienced what cut to the heart means when I was a little boy. And I was down in Ennis, Texas. And at the end of a church service, I had just this unexplained urgency to surrender my life to this Jesus and begin to follow him. I couldn't not do that. I believe in that moment, I was cut to the heart just like these people were. It penetrated all the objections and all the hurdles and all of a sudden there I was being immediately unexplained urgency drawn to Jesus and I was cut to the heart. And I went to my dad after the service and I basically asked the same question, Dad, what do I do? And I believe in that moment I experienced what most people experience who come to Jesus and that is the role of a church and the role of a Christ follower playing a part in my salvation. And if you're here today and you feel a little cut to the heart when you hear the story of Jesus, maybe you even felt it before, during the worship, or maybe you felt it before you even came in today, and there's just something that you can't, you have an unexplained urgency. I just want to invite you to do what I did when I was a kid. And after the service, we have people who are praying in the back that you can go to, and you can walk up to them and say, hey, what do I do? And we'll walk you and take you from there and we'll talk about what you can do to begin to follow Jesus. You see, Peter, when he was asked, what do we do? I want you to see Peter's response in verse 38 and 39. They responded, what do I do? And here's what Peter says. Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, which is why Jesus came and went to the cross. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit I love this. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Now that word repent can be intimidating, but let's be real clear on the word repent. It is a turning from and a turning to. It is a turning to this Jesus and recognizing that he is who he says he is and that I was created to follow him. That is the repent. I repent of my going my way, and I am now going to go his way. Now, I still believe, as I hear people's story, and I say, how did you come to follow Jesus? All of our journeys are different, but I think there continue to be a simple formula in most people's life. There was a church, and there was a Christ follower who was instrumental in your salvation or in you following Jesus 
And I remember back in January of this year, you may remember I encouraged all of us to begin a new habit or, or renew an old habit, and that is to invite someone to church and to share Jesus with someone this year in 2022. And, I, and I'm so excited because last Sunday, we're in the summer, right? This is when everybody's on vacation and there are just fewer guests, and yet out in the lobby last Sunday, I met four families who were here for the very first time. And we're continually, amen, yeah, we can clap and celebrate that. One of the things that's so fun is just to remember that every Sunday is someone's first Sunday as they reconsider faith and they reconsider making this a part of their life. And last Sunday, as these four families were there, I so enjoyed seeing them, but I just as enjoyed you introducing me to them and saying, hey, I asked this person to come sit with me this week, and I just wanted to introduce them to you. That is is just so much fun that we get to partner in that way. And one of the people who probably does that about as much as anybody I have ever known is a man who who attends our church. And and, and I just want to say this about Rick. Rick... Pearson was originally invited by a lady that many of you who've been attending the church for a while, Michelle May, you'll know Michelle. And Rick has been since this year inviting just a bunch of people. And uh, I said, Rick, how do you do that? How how are you so effective at that? And uh, so this week we just sat down and made a quick little video. And I want you to hear from Rick. Check this out. Well, hey, I'm here with my friend Rick Pearson, and uh, Rick, you've been attending LifePoint a couple of years couple now. A couple years, yeah. And uh, I know Michelle May invited you. She did. And uh, many times you said, and then you were kind of like, oh, no, and then you finally decided to come. I have just noticed you over and over, and you and I have talked about this a lot. Mm-hmm. You keep inviting people to church, and it seems like almost every week you're like, hey, I got this friend I want you to meet that is actually here. How do you do it? Was just practically, what are you doing? I just tried to put together a kind of a step-by-step approach to what anybody can do. Because I am uh, an ordinary person praying to do extraordinary things. And one of the things that we do is we talk to God each morning by praying, Lord, please help me succeed today by inviting one person to sit with me at church. In Jesus' name. And then the second thing I do is put this in my pocket every day. We're here for your family. That's an invite. Yep. The invite, yep. right? So that's at the front desk. And I've got a stack of these, a few of these in my pocket. I've got a bunch of them in my car. I've got a bunch of them on my desk at home. And sometimes I'll write down my name, my phone number, and I'll say, you can come any Sunday that you want if you're, not, if you're busy this Sunday. But meet me in the lobby at 1015. Just give me a text on Saturday night so that I'm looking for you when you come. And so that's, uh, those, are that, those are the main steps, pray and carry and then invite people. How can we fill up this church? How can we fill up another church? Um, I, I thought of this idea of, a, of an ambassador ministry where we could uh, get everyone involved in a, in a non-threatening way to share because certainly uh, having a hundred people share a little bit is better than one person sharing everything. You're one person sharing everything. Yeah. I'd like to see everybody sharing a little bit and then we'll really, uh, I think we we can uh, encourage growth. I think we can spark, we, the Holy Spirit can use us. Right. 
Man, that's my prayer too. God's gonna, God's gonna bless with people like you. You may have, may have noticed that Rick was wearing a name tag that, that he's made. And what you couldn't see on the video was at the bottom of it, it says, I was invited by Michelle May in 2019. Isn't that cool? Now, I know we're not wearing name tags, but if we did, in the future, whose name tag would have your name on it? Because you invited someone, they came, and they begin to grow in their faith and in their relationship with Jesus. I said this earlier, and I, I just believe this with all my heart. Our goal is not to be the kind of church that says, hey, Jesus said to go, so go. Best of luck, right? Instead, we feel it's an honor to partner with you and create a place where you can bring the people as you go. And let me tell you what I believe will be the best Sunday of your year. Is when you invite someone to come and eventually they surprise you and say, okay, I'm coming. And they sit with you. And during the worship, you're hearing every song through their ears. And during the message, you're hearing the entire thing through their ears. And then if it's one of those messages at the end where I say, hey, why don't you just close your eyes and right now we want to give you a chance to respond to Jesus. And if that's you, would you raise your hand? And I'm telling you, if you brought somebody and they're sitting with you and we've asked everyone to close their eyes, you have permission that Sunday only to open one eye and see if your guest brought their, raises their hand. And when they do, and tears go down your face, that'll be the best Sunday of your year. Because that's what Jesus has called us to do, is to go and make disciples. And it begins with evangelism so that we can baptize them. Now here's what I want you to say, and this is so important. Because they didn't stay in the room and pray, they got up to go. And here's the, here's the bottom line, if you hear nothing else today, I want you to own this. You see, when it comes to our faith, the truth is, our faith is personal but it was never intended to be private. I know there is in our culture this tendency, no, no, you do you, I'll do me. But I don't want to proselytize. I don't want to be that person who, who assumes anything on your truth on your behalf. But if you follow Jesus, you weren't giving a choice. You weren't given a choice. We were told to go. And the key is we do it in a loving witness way not as a lawyer or a judge but as a here's who Jesus is and here's here's what he's done for me because our faith was never intended to be private you see when we go to the bottom line how did that one day end when the original Jesus followers decided for the first time in history to go I you just got to see this last verse because you're going to be shocked as you see it maybe for the first time or maybe for the tenth time look at verse 41 that day, which began as an ordinary day with the disciples praying in a room, they were ordinary people like me and you, full of doubters and deniers. And watch what happened. Those who accepted his message, Peter's message, were baptized, and about 3,000 people were added to their number that day. That day. And for the first time in history, Christianity began to expand 
And the hope of Jesus began to be experienced by more people than who had personally witnessed the physical Jesus. Only because they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. And ordinary people began to make an extraordinary difference because they didn't stop with prayer, but they did start with prayer. And then they recognized the truth that my faith is personal, but it was never intended to be private. This summer, my goal is that we would be a people who pray like we've never prayed before, and that we would share Jesus and or invite someone to church this summer. You see, as we imagine the impact that could happen, think about 20 years from now when someone could thank you for anything in the world. Would there be anything better than someone thanking you because you introduced them to Jesus? This is our opportunity. So I want to close with two practical steps. Number one, I want to ask you, would you begin to pray that God will empower you to share Jesus with someone and or invite them to church this summer? It's one thing to say, hey, I got a neighbor that I'm getting to know. I'll invite them over for barbecue. We're, we're getting to know each other. They seem like great folks. And I, God, I pray that you'll, you'll, you'll draw them to yourself. It's a different thing to say, God, I'm enjoying this person, getting to know them, and I pray you will use me in drawing them to yourself. And then here's the second part, and this is, this is a part I'm excited about, is take one of our Share Jesus kits. Our team, led by Pastor Sean and, some, and Eloise and, and some great folks, put together these um, little Share Jesus kit. And you say, what's a Share Jesus kit? Well, we just made that name up. We have no idea. We're just kind of doing all this. And we put this little kit together and, and kind of threw our name on it. And so that's, we decided that was a good enough name. But here's what's in it, and that's what I want you to really see. There's a magnet inside of it with three spaces for you to put three names of people that you know personally who don't know Jesus that you can pray for every day. And again, you can pray for these folks that they'll come to know Jesus, but I would encourage you that you would pray for them that God would use you to help them come to know Jesus. And then inside of this, and you saw this on the video uh, when Rick held up this card, that we, we have a, a handful of invites in here that you can just kind of keep on you and whenever you have that opportunity to invite someone to church, you kind of have some, some uh, information to give them. By the way, Rick will be out in the main lobby after the service by, uh, by the, the guest desk there. You can just stop by and meet him and talk with him. And, and uh, you haven't experienced uh, energy and joy and focus until you've met Rick. He is a special, special man. And then lastly, and this may be the most important thing of all, inside of these Jesus kits are some breath mints. Because let's be honest, if you're going to share Jesus, don't be offensive, right? All right? So that's on your way out. Make sure you pick those up, and, uh, and let's do this together this summer. All right, last but not least, if you really want to take an extra step and grow your faith, I want to encourage you to memorize this verse through this series as we go through this book activate or through the series activate and we're talking about the things the original Jesus followers did to activate their faith and we believe this summer we can do the same things to activate our faith and next week come because there's another great thing they do that really takes it to the next level so I hope to see you next Sunday on Father's Day we got a lot of special things planned but first let's do our memory verse here I'll say it once and then I'll invite you to say it with me it's Hebrews eleven six, and it is this and without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him.
Hebrews 11.6. Now, would you stand with me in honor of the scriptures? And would you say that out loud with me? Say it with me. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Let's pray. God, we thank you, thank you that you love us so much that you authenticated and you assigned and you sent your son Jesus to earth to pay a price I could never pay. God, we thank you for Jesus. Then you raised him miraculously from the dead and the story continues on. And that baton has been passed to our generation now. And now we get to stand here and be witnesses of this grand story, the greatest story ever told. God, help us to go. And not just feel like it's something we're supposed to do but don't want to do, but we realize this is how we make the extraordinary difference you have called us to make. May it be for your glory and your glory alone, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. I hope today's message was an encouragement to you. And if you'd like a little more information about our church, just visit us on our website at lifepointplano.org.